Welcome back, friends, to episode 48 of Banished to the Pen podcast, a group baseball blog produced by diehard fans of the podcast, Effectively Wild, the daily show from Baseball Prospectus. I'm your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball Podcast. This week, I am proud to welcome to the show two contributors to Banish to the Pan and I believe at least one former guest of the show. I've got Rob Maines with me and Corey Smith. Guys, say hello to the internet. Hey, internet. <laughs> Hi, internet. Very literal, guys. Thank you very much. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, in all seriousness, I'm glad to have you guys on the show this week. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, talk some baseball. I guess we're only, shoot, what, a couple weeks before opening day. So um, I do want to start the show the way I start every week and have you all introduce yourselves to the audience, to those that maybe aren't familiar with your work. Uh, we'll start alphabetically. Why not? Rob, uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, it's Rob Maines. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Cran underscore boy. Uh, I write uh, for Banished to the Pen, and uh, you can also catch my pirate-centric work at onthefieldofplay.com. And glad to be here with you, Ryan and Corey. Very good to have you, Rob. It's good to talk to you. I haven't seen you in a little while, so it's uh, I'm excited to talk some baseball with you. Same uh, here. Corey, same question, but introduce yourself to the internet. Hey guys, my first appearance on the podcast. Uh, you can find me at Corey Zero Smith. That's C O R E Y Zero Smith on Twitter. Uh, I'm from I'm a, originally a from the Philadelphia region, South Jersey, so Mike Trout area. I'm a huge Trout guy. <laughs> um, went to college in Philly, and now I'm living in the New York City metro area for work. So. Um, you can find me, my, my work on Banish to the Pen. I've done uh, one. I've done one store so far, uh, and I have two previews coming up. Both the Nationals, which should post on Monday, and uh, the Mets, which will be next week. Very cool. We're going to dive into them uh, very, very well this week. Uh, obviously, I don't get a chance to talk Nats enough, so I'm excited to have that uh, have that conversation with you, Corey. And uh, I welcome you to the show. Um, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Uh, first place I want to start this week, uh, we got a little note from our uh, kingpin of the uh, of this podcast, and he wanted to dis- us to discuss a little bit how we got into Effectively Wild, the podcast. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, I-, I think we should start with you guys. So, um, Corey, maybe we'll uh, give you the floor this time first. Um, how did you get into Effectively Wild? How did you become a fan? Sure. Well, uh, right after right after college, I uh, had a job, like a freelance gig in New York. So I was commuting a lot from my parents' house in South Jersey. It was a nice, like you know, four hour round trip commute. Oh my god! So I started listening to podcasts, and one day, you know, I'm a huge baseball fan. So in the in one of the podcast apps I had, I just searched baseball. I actually, think it was iTunes. In the iTunes, when you searched. Uh, baseball it was right after effectively wild had started so a couple years ago at this point um and for whatever reason i don't know how like itunes algorithm works or whatever but it was like top rated you know this top rated baseball podcast so i was like all right well i'll give it a listen it was probably in like 10 or 15 episodes so far so i just got hooked that way and been listening i mean i listened pretty much 
immediately when they're posted i mean when i wake up so like i'm not i know a couple i know some people may be like a couple episodes behind or whatever but i'm generally right on schedule which is really cool and now my favorite question are you team ben or team sam i am oh man that's i I used to be i'm i'm team ben i'm i'm team ben all those team uh sam miller and his appearances, his uh, appearances on MLB Network with the beard did sway me a little bit. But um, Ben being from New York and market diner guy, like that's that's huge in my book. I put a seven on Sam's beard. I mean, that is a legitimate beard right there. Well, last time, <laughs> last time he was on MLB Network, there was no beard. He had shaven the beard. I, we didn't even recognize him. We were like, "Who is this? Who is this mystery <laughs> Sam Miller?" Yeah, it was it was quite shocking. <laughs> uh, Rob, same question. How did you get into Effectively Wild? Well, I have an incredibly unsatisfying answer. I don't really remember how, how it happened. I've been a reader and a, a subscriber to BP for a really long time. I've been reading the annuals for over 10 years. And I'd imagine, you know, Ryan and you know, you and I both have dogs and imagine just one day I was looking for more stuff to listen to while I was walking the dogs <laughs> and I found it. And this is a few years ago. I've been listening for a few years, but kind of, you know, since I sort of on the site every day, I, for the life of me, don't know why I didn't start listening when it first started up because, you know, I, I really like, I like what BP does. I like uh, Ben and Sam. Yeah, I, I think my story is pretty similar as well. Is is I, I read BP every morning. It's the first thing, pretty much, that I do every day besides checking my site. And it was just kind of the natural progression of, oh, okay, might as well. What's this podcast going on? And then I was fortunate enough to meet Ben Lindbergh, who is, uh, I think, the nicest person I've ever met, baseball or not. Uh, honestly, he's the nicest person around. And so that just kind of got me hooked on the show. Is then knowing him and knowing him maybe i'm confident enough to say as a friend so it's it's pretty neat to hear you know your friend talking baseball every day so it's and i was fortunate enough to be on episode 376 so that completely hooked me obviously so um yeah I'm, i listen every day i'm probably a show or two behind unfortunately but uh the the team previews are my favorite personally i think they're outstanding yeah I, i'm i'm with Corey. it's it, i get a lot of podcasts effectively wild is the only one that i pretty much listen to the day i download it yeah well that says something and and yeah it, they really are the chemistry between them is just fantastic so yeah all right guys i want to uh if i can move from that subject a little bit now i want to turn our attention um a little bit more to the game on the field itself um and Corey brought this up uh pre-show and i really want to touch on it it's um and you mentioned it. I think it's if it's not tonight, and depending on when everybody's downloading this, uh, it's certainly this week. Uh, they're having a minor league game played in Cuba, and I believe President Obama is going to be in attendance for the game. Um, Corey, I kind of want to just g- give you the floor there and, and let you run with it. Yeah, um, I, I, the game is on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. Um, it's the Rays. I don't know if they're sending uh, like. A split squad or if it's their full team their full spring training roster but the rays are going to cuba and playing the cuban national team on uh tuesday at 150 it'll be on espn um yeah president obama's arriving in cuba he's the first president 
in 88 years, I think, or like since Calvin Coolidge or something, someone to go to Cuba. So it's it's kind of a historic event. Um, I mean, the Rays. Uh, I, I've read articles on the Rays. They're you know they're not talking politics or anything. So I don't really want to talk about politics either. But it's a huge. It, I, it's kind of a huge deal that uh, kind of snuck up on us. I think that you know a major league baseball team is now going to Cuba and playing. You know all these uh, Cuban players. I think that's a great point, uh, and I and I definitely agree with your point that it snuck up on us, and maybe it's spring training, and maybe it's you know ten days, two weeks before opening day. But this is a major story that maybe isn't as major in a vacuum today that it'll be five years from today. But this really could have the opportunity to further open the gates of Cuba to their players to come over here, and I, I mean, selfishly, it, it's got to make our game better because having their best talents come over here and play baseball in the major leagues. It's got to be a benefit for us, the fans. Yeah, I mean, travel travel to Cuba for, you know, uh, just the general public like you and I, it, it's over the last, whatever, 50 years, it's just been impossible. And now for us to be able to send a Major League Baseball team there to kind of grow our game, not that it needs, needs much growth in Cuba, but hopefully in a couple years, we'll be able to have, you know, better relations with Cuba so players won't have to you know, leave their families and it'll kind of be more like Venezuelan players or Dominican uh, players where they can just come to America freely and go back, go back and forth. You know, they don't have to leave. I saw a story on Jose Abreu where he kind of had to choose between, you know, playing in Cuba with his, with his son. Like, you know, he had a two year old son at the time when he came to America and then, or come to America and make millions of dollars and play, major league baseball and we all know he chose you know to come to america and it was uh earlier this off season he actually went to go went back to cuba for uh they had some kind of uh event there where they brought all these major league baseball players down to cuba to like have like skills competitions and stuff with with uh cuban cuban players and they had cuban youth there and it was just like a touching story where um Jose Abreu finally gets to see his his son after three years. He's now five years old. Like it was, like hopefully now with with all these changes with the Cuban and American government, that can change. Uh, Rob, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, th- what I think is interesting about this is I am going to date myself a little bit here. I grew up in Minnesota, and I'm old enough to have remembered seeing, you know, Cuban ball players like Tony Oliva and Zoilo Versailles play. And there are some really good major leaguers who came over from Cuba before Castro took over and kind of the, the travel ban was put on. And I remember hearing on some podcast recently that the top Cuban ball players make I don't know, something like 500 bucks a month or something like basically what MLB players probably get every day for meal money. Um, So it seems to me that this could be an opportunity to create a pipeline from a real baseball, uh, you know, enthusiastic country to the U.S. sort of like there is with the Dominican Republic. So I think that, you know, to the degree that this is the first step towards opening up um, you know, a a path for good Cuban ball players to come to America. I think it's a good opportunity to raise the quality of the game here even more. Yeah, and I know that 
we've seen Cuban teams come over for exhibition games in the past. I know they did a couple in Baltimore a while back, but uh, aside from, I guess, Montreal a few years ago, although that was San Juan, if so pardon me, we haven't seen teams go there to play baseball. So uh, this is a big step, like you say, and uh, I don't want to get into the politics side of it. We could, I'm not, first of all, I'm not even pretend to be qualified enough to talk politics of it, but uh, I think it just in the baseball sense, it's fantastic that we could have a more open system. I don't like that these men are trying to escape and all the craziness. I mean, if you've ever seen the Le- uh, Levon and uh, his brother, 30 for 30, the torture and the right. hell they had to go through just to try to escape. I, I, it would be wonderful if these men and these people didn't have to go through that. So if, if that's the small benefit of, of this, then that's wonderful. So uh, I, I think it's only a benefit baseball wise. And like I said, I don't want to go into the politics because I don't know it well enough, but I think it's only positive from the baseball side, and I and I tip my cap to President Obama trying to help Major League Baseball. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there were I mean, Manny Minoso. There are a lot of great Cuban players that we enjoyed seeing in the U.S. until the you know the, there was a travel ban, and it, you know that it'd be exciting to see more of them today other than the select few who are able to you know most of them have defected and pretty danger done so fairly dangerously and then there's been a little bit of a window for more players to come over but a more normal relationship with the country like say like we have with uh the dominican i think could could pave the way for more good players coming over here yeah can only improve the game so uh Let's uh, let's try to transition off that topic a little bit now. Um, I, I want to take advantage of the fact that we've got Corey in here this week, and I want to talk some Nationals. Sure, it's a little personal and close to my heart, but uh, we haven't talked a lot of Nats on this podcast uh, in recent months. So I want to uh, first, I want to give Corey a spot just to kind of talk about his preview, and we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks. Um, so preview runs Monday. Um, nationals, we kind of. I mean, this was a team that was expected to win over 90 games last year and kind of cruised to a division title, especially since the rest of the National League East is so so bad. Um, of course, we saw the Mets kind of uh, get on the back of Ioannis Cespedes, who carried them to the World Series. Um, and the Nationals kind of fell apart last year, right, after they uh, – they acquired Jonathan Papelbon, and we all saw what happened at the end of the season with uh, with Harper and Papelbon. So, it, it to me, it's tough to say like the Nationals uh, will go. However, Harper goes because we're going. We're, we expect him to be another. Like he's going to put up another eight win season, right? So he did that last year. He's probably um, the favorite to be National League MVP again this year. I mean, if you're if you're taking odds, like he's. I'm taking Harper over the field right now. Um, the pitching staff is going into the season last year was uh, it was really deep. It was you know one of the deepest pitching staffs in in baseball. I thought, if not the deepest. But right now, I, I'd still at this point, I take the Mets rotation over the Nationals heading into the season. But that's not to say that they're a bad rotation. I mean, Scherzer is is a, a number one. He's an ace. He's a workhorse. He's a guy that that you're going to throw out there every fifth day. He's gonna he's gonna throw six, seven, eight innings. You know what you're gonna get from him. 
After that, they lost Zimmerman, so uh, Strasburg kind of has to slide up into that into that slot. Um, we've seen Strasburg have be uh, have fight off a bunch of injuries over the last couple of years. Uh, I, I think there's like one or two seasons where he's pitched over 180 innings. Um, so he's in a contract year. So hopefully that's kind of incentive for him to to step up and, and pitch as well as he can, as well as we've seen, which sure if that if that's the case i i, I totally I, I can i can get on board with that um and another after that like uh geo Gonzalez, you know what you're getting from him and then the bottom of the rotation it, it's not as as deep as it was last year they do have an intriguing guy in lucas giolito who i'm sure ryan is very excited about and should be um I mean, he could probably speak more about him than I can. Um, but looking at the offense, we kind of with the Nationals, you kind of have to think um, they're going to be as successful as uh, the pieces around Harper are. So when I was doing the preview, you know, they have a lot of guys bouncing back from injuries, guys that missed a lot of time over the last year or two years, even like can Ryan Zimmerman play more than more than a hundred games at first base. And if he can, can he hit? Can he, you know, have, can he have any kind of power production? I don't know. Uh, Jason Worth in left field. You can't, I, I don't know if you can count on him in his age 37 season. And then, uh, the one guy I do like coming back from injury is Anthony Rendon at third base. And I think, I think, I mean, he was, he finished fifth in MVP voting two years ago. So, and he's still pretty young. I think 26, maybe 27. Uh, but I, I think he's a guy you can count on. And, I mean, since this division is so bad, like with the Phillies and Braves, and we all know, I mean, the Marlins, I mean, they were a hot pick last year for some reason. And they're not, they're, I mean, they're not going to contend this year. So the division is so bad. So the top two teams, the Mets and Nationals, are the top two teams. I still think the Mets are better and probably going to win a division, but you know, 88, 87, 88 wins this year for the for the Nationals that keeps them in wild card contention. Yeah, definitely. You covered a lot of ground there, but I think the the main point you made was was fantastic. Was this time last year we were talking about this could be the greatest rotation ever. This you know there are no flaws in this rotation. There are five ones and twos. And now you look at it, and just in 12 months' time, Zimmerman's gone, Fister had a bad year, and he's gone. And now it's like Scherzer, you know what you're getting from him, but Strasburg can be Jekyll or Hyde. You, you typically get good uh, Strasburg, but not always. Are you going to get the Gio Gonzalez that was like in 2012 that won 21 games and was great and pitched deep into games? Are you going to get the guy that's been going five and two-thirds more and... And then you go to the back end of the bullpen or back end of the rotation. It's like, what's what are you going to get from Tanner Roark? He can be great. He could be very mediocre, like he's been. And you know, what's Joe Ross? Is he is he the guy that really performed well last year, or was he the guy that clunked in the last couple of outings because he can't get lefties out? It's it, it's a very interesting situation with with their starting rotation. Obviously, Lucas Giolito's probably the top pitching prospect in baseball. Certainly, the top prospect in the organization and. You know, I think we're all hoping that he makes some type of some type of a you know all star break um, cameo or or you know in, you know he comes up, but I think that starting pitching is going to be the real key to the team this year. I do, I do like Joe Ross at the back end of the bull. I mean, the back end of the rotation. I do like him. I he's just 
he's just a young guy who's not going to – I don't think the Nationals are going to have him pitch more than, you know, 160 or 180 innings. And, I mean, we're just talking about a fifth guy here. So, of True. course, I think Giolito will come up if not if not by the end of June. He'll probably he'll be up by, like, the, the trade deadline. So if you slot him in, and, I mean, I, I've seen uh, comparisons to, like, you know, Giolito is basically – the Nationals version of Noah Syndergaard, which, I mean, if you can get half of what Syndergaard did with, with the, the Mets last year, I mean, out of Giolito, in the fourth or fifth slot, I mean, you would take that, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. And Giolito is everything that, that Syndergaard is and more. Except health. I mean, that's really the only knock. I mean, really, he's everything that Syndergaard is and more. And and, and one other one other point on the rotation, I think, I think Strasburg, he missed... He was he spent some time in the DL last year, uh, like in the middle of the season. But when he came back, like his last like ten or eleven starts, he you know held held guys to like a one, I think it was a one ninety batting average or one one eighty batting average, and oh he and was struck out. He was the best pitcher, yeah, not named Kershaw or Arietta from the last you know from trade deadline on or last, whatever it would be last six weeks of the season yeah. or last yeah last two months of the season so i mean there there's hope there it's to me the biggest question on strasburg is if he can stay healthy i i agree with you 100 percent. i do think the contract year helps that whether it's consciously or unconsciously i think that helps that injury situation so wh- what are you seeing what are you seeing as the biggest weakness with this team right now aside from if the answer is the rotation aside from the rotation um, well, I, I don't think uh, the rotation is fine as long as Strasburg stays healthy. With that caveat, of course. But um, I mean, that's that's pretty much every team in baseball. Other than that, their biggest weakness is um, you know they they don't have really a number two like they have Harper, you know, leader of the offense. They need Rendon kind of to step up and be like a number two hitter, if you want to think of it that way. You know, where you have uh, Harper being an eight-win player, if if Rendon can be a four or you know three and a half, four, five win, if five-win player would be great. But like other than that, you know, you can't count on Worth in left field. I do. I I I'm a Ben Revere guy. I think he's kind of underrated. I don't want to say very underrated. He's a guy. He's a good. He's a good leadoff guy. I mean, I'm a Phillies fan, so I've seen him the last couple of years. He doesn't walk, which I mean, it's not good. But he'll he'll, he'll hit. He has, you know, usually I think he has like a 300 career batting average. He led the league in in hitting uh, for the Phillies a couple years ago. So, and, and he can play defense. He has no arm, which uh, I mean, as a center fielder, as long as he's covering ground, that's fine. So, I, I think Revere's actually a pretty good trade for them in center field to replace the Narn Span. I'm with you. That's a but, great call. That's a great call. Uh, I think too often we look at these players that you know what their strengths and what their weaknesses are, and we just because we know what the weakness is, we dismiss them. But Revere's a solid major league player. He's got warts, yeah, but he's he's a, guy. he's a good player. I mean, look what he did for Toronto's lineup last year when he got rolling. I mean, he really made a difference yeah. for them. Yeah, he's a guy. He'll get on base. He gets hits. He's a, he's kind of like a side hitter. He gets singles, and then he can steal bases. So to me, he's he's a really good leadoff guy. And then I. I'm on the fence. I, I kind of like the Daniel Murphy signing at second base. I know I, I do feel like they overpaid for him, but and, and there's no way there's no way the Mets should have brought him back. I'm, I was fine with the Mets not bringing him back. I do like Daniel Murphy at second base. He's a guy. He's he's 
he consistently gets hits. I mean, he I think he's a guy that has a 300 batting average over his career or like 295 or something. Um, and if he can like kind of keep that power swing he had in the playoffs last year, I mean, there's no way he uh, he hits, you know, anybody had seven home runs before the World Series. So there's no way he kind of extrapolates that over a season. You can't count on that at all. But he's a guy that plays uh, every day and will get it. We'll we'll get his hits. Yeah, um, he's not a good he's not a good fielder. That's that's just one thing. But uh, to me to me at second base you don't need the the best fielder. To me, shortstop is is kind of a question mark at this point. Um, I know they're they're sliding they're sliding uh, Danny Espinosa from second to short, and I think they signed Stephen Drew, so they're kind of going to split time. Um, but they're kind of, I guess they're kind of waiting for Trey Turner, right? Yeah. It's just a matter of when with him, yes. So, I mean, I, I feel like he'll, he'll probably make an appearance at some point this season, but you can't count on him. So, if their shortstop is uh, Danny Espinosa the, the whole year, or, or Danny Espinosa and, and Stephen Drew the whole year, I guess uh, that's a question to me. Yeah, to build off uh, you, what you were saying a minute ago, I thought the additions of Revere and Murphy kind of at the – and taking away the strikeouts of Michael Taylor and, and Ian Desmond is going to be a big bolst to the lineup that people aren't really talking about. That's a lot of strikeouts that you're replacing with at least putting the ball in play, and that's something that I always thought that St. Louis does so well is they have some really good hitters, and then they're one, two, seven, and eight hitters. Just put the ball in play and make you work, and – I think that's something the Nationals have really lacked in the last four or five years are just the guys that, that'll put the ball in play and make you work at the top and the bottom of the lineup. I think those additions are much bigger than, than people are giving them credit for, even just you know kind of on the surface, so to speak. Rob, I want to tag you in if I can. I know, I'm sure you've got to have a question or something. So, Yeah, for, well, first a comment. Based on what you were just saying, Ryan, I just looked this up. I was unaware of this. Last year among... Uh, batting uh you know qualifiers for the batting title contact percentage number one in baseball was michael brantley number two was daniel murphy and number three was ben revere so yeah that's i hadn't realized that those were such proficient contact hitters and you're right you're taking a lot of whiffs out of the lineup by slotting in those two guys i mean you could be taken away for 200 strikeouts yeah pretty easily just with those two switches i mean it could be really a big difference yeah, um, I guess the, the two questions, one's kind of an observation kind of a question. One is, um, I know that Ryan Zimmerman is a little bit of a stat cast darling because um, they showed that his exit velocity last year before he went on the DL was in the high 80s MPH, and after he came back, it was high 90s. So, you know, I think there's at least... The, the StatCast guys are suggesting maybe there's some hope that, in fact, he is fixed and he could be okay again. But then, you know, I guess the question is, you've got kind of an old-school manager dealing with a, let's say, controversial bullpen. <laughs> I just want to see, you know, how you see the the bullpen kind of playing out there. I, you know, as a Philly fan, I've seen, I've seen, uh, Papelbon over the last couple of years, and he, I mean, it, it, the bullpen to me is kind of a concern. Um, the back end, I think Papelbon, I really think Papelbon has one year left. Like this is, this will be his, 
his last year as the guy, as the closer. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the team tried to trade him after. I mean, you can't you can't choke the National League MVP, right? Like, you can't choke him in the dugout. Apparently they probably can. tried to trade him. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, they probably tried to trade him, but, I mean, nobody nobody was going to take take on his his salary with his kind of he's he's kind of falling off but kind of not but i know the team the team made a couple uh off-season deals to get guys like uh Yasmero petit and oliver perez uh sean kelly was another guy they signed and they're all guys that uh that kind of fill out their middle middle uh, middle relief spots and uh, setup spots. I I think Oliver Perez against lefties is just very close to dominant. I, last year he struck out 33 guys and uh, held them held lefties to a 194 batting average in 99 99 plate appearances. So that's pretty good. Um, so, but other than that, I mean, if 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 Papelbon struggles i don't know who their closer is going to be and you kind of have to keep him in that spot because he's making 15 million dollars right right so do you think that be you know ahead of him there again this being baker that there's kind of strict seventh eighth inning roles and maybe uh you know perez becomes and it's so weird to think of him being good again after seeing what he did with the pirates but that he's kind of the loogie uh, in the bullpen yeah, I, I think there'll be kind of like a strict, you know, here's our seventh, here's our seventh inning guy, here's our eighth inning guy, and then Perez will be your lefty. Like Sean Kelly is kind of set up to be a setup man. I think he's, you know, he's had a thirty percent strikeout rate over the last three years, so he's he's kind of thrown gas back there. Maybe he could fill in if Pavel Bond is 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 struggling. I don't know. Don't be surprised if know. Lucas Giolito or Ronaldo Lopez, the two prospects, all of a sudden become the closer if Papelbon becomes a disaster. I wouldn't be stunned to see that. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I could totally see that too. I, I I mean, I really want to see Giolito in, in the rotation. I'm sure you do too. But uh, yeah, Rob brings up a good point on um, Dusty Baker. I mean, he's a huge change from from Matt Williams, right? Like he's he's been he's been over his career as manager, kind of been uh, regarded as a player's manager, whereas Matt Williams was thought of just I don't know, a statue, spoon. I don't know what. <laughs> right? The guy was the worst, absolutely the worst. So I mean, Baker is kind of a guy he'll stick up for his players. He's more of an old school guy, but this is something I put in the preview. We've seen over the years, you know, he's changed his ways from from his time in San Francisco to his time in Chicago and then his time in Cincinnati. There's been different things where, you know, he hasn't used pitchers as much when he was in Cincinnati than he did in Chicago, where he was basically faulted for, you know, Terry Wood and and Mark Fryer's career is just crashing. But, like, when he was in Cincinnati, I mean, that team went to the playoffs three or four out of his last five years. So I think he's kind of evolving. He's never like he's never going to be Joe Ben. He's never going to be that guy. He's never going to be a guy that's all, you know, opening up the notebook and in, in the dugout and, you know, looking like all the stuff up. But, he, and, but in the clubhouse, I think it's a huge change, and it's probably for the better of the team. It can't possibly be for the worse. It can't possibly be worse. 
<laughs> he was the worst game manager I've ever seen in my life. And I've watched baseball for 35 years. He was the worst I've ever seen. So, uh, uh, we could do, we could talk a lot more Nats and, and a lot more things. Rob, do you have any other questions? Um, I guess, you know, maybe this would be more down your alley, Ryan, but uh, who else can we expect to see contributing from the, the farm system possibly as early as this season? Uh, I think, obviously, the answer is uh, the first two names are Giolito and um, Trey Turner. I think we've talked about uh, both of those guys a little bit. I would be surprised if Turner's not up shoot pretty early i mean he really has become the player and and it looks like he's just a much better option than danny espinoza on an everyday basis and giolito is probably the best you know pitching prospect in baseball we've talked about him enough right another name i'll mention is austin voth um i think he was the minor league pitcher of the year last year at double a i could see him moving into a relief role if all of a sudden something happens to the bullpen somebody gets hurt uh, I think he's a long-term starter, but I could see him coming in and, and bolstering the bullpen somewhere along the way if there's some injuries later in the year. Okay. I, I do want to kind of uh, transition here. So, Corey, I'd love to get a win prediction from you and uh, maybe a, a a bold prediction, something for the season. Um, all right. So my win prediction is going to be 88. I think that's what I put in my preview. 88 wins and contending for the second wild card spot i really think that national league like the national league has what like eight games that are that are basically fighting for uh five five playoff spots so 88 wins uh i think they'll probably be the second second wild card team um and my bold prediction i don't really know if it's a bold prediction but uh bryce harper 50 home run season that's bold We'll call yeah. That's bold. I think that qualifies. All right. Well, Bryce Harper, 50 home runs, and hope, oh, I, I think he's going to win another MVP. That's not bold. I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, I want to uh, tag Rob in if I can right here, and um, I want to transition to talking a little bit. Rob, I don't know exactly when it was, but I know it was very recently. You were one of the key presenters at the, uh, the Sabre Conference, so uh, please – Talk talk to us about the conference. Yeah, it was actually just uh, last week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. This is Sabre has two big conferences every year. One is their national conference, which this year is the end of July, and then this one that's always held second weekend of March is their analytics conference in Phoenix. And um, the way that I got on the program is they have you know they have a lot of set panels and whatnot, but they hold some slots. For research presentations and I decided to apply for one and my uh, presentation was accepted and the interesting thing is it's something that uh, we all that those of everyone listening who read the site saw uh, earlier this year it's uh, a piece I did looking at the rise in batters being hit by pitches and how that is actually tied to the rise of strikeouts and without going in a lot of detail thing is strikeouts are up when strikeouts are up, uh, pitchers' counts are up, and when pitchers are ahead of the count, they tend to target the margins of the strike zone more than the middle of the zone, which they do when they're behind the count. And if you're targeting the inside corner because you're ahead in the count and you miss, you might hit a guy. And what I found in my research that I presented was that even though you know strikeouts are up, walks are down, both of which would suggest that pitchers' control is a lot better, we've seen uh, a steady rise, pretty dramatic rise, in both 
hit batters and wild pitches, and I'm attributing that directly to the rise in strikeouts and where pitchers are locating their pitches. Anyway, um, the Sabre Conference is the analytics conference. It's one of two big analytics conferences every year, the other one being the Sabre Seminar in Boston in August. Um, Sabre Seminar, by the way, is where I met Ryan, and he encouraged me to start writing for Banish to the Pen. So, you know, kind of all circled back uh, to uh, to Banish to the Pen in, in these discussions. <laughs> um, the Sabre Seminar is pretty numbers-oriented, pretty analytically-oriented. Um, I think Dave Cameron on Fangraph said that it's the best nerd convention. <laughs> the analytics conference certainly has some pretty numbers-oriented uh, presentations. One of the best, I thought, was Jonathan Judge from BP and Rob Arthur, formerly of BP, now with 538. They both gave presentations um, that sort of broadly, the idea was that um, you know when you're looking at, say, pitching or hitting, you shouldn't just look at what the pitchers hitting are doing, but see how other uh, contributors on the diamond have something to say in that. Like, for instance, for pitching, yeah, it's what the pitcher throws, but it's also who he's facing, how good the catcher's framing, what ballpark it's in, what umpire's calling balls and strikes, what fielders are behind him, all that sort of thing. So uh, in addition to that, though, there are some panels that like had general managers talking about sort of how they use analytics in a real high-level way. And so it's, I'd say maybe a little bit more general baseball interest as well as being analytically oriented uh, compared to the Sabre Seminar in Boston. Where is the next, are, are you taking your research to the next generation? Are you taking it to the next level, so to speak? Um, well, the, the next level that everyone was talking about there was a couple things. First of all, um, stuff that I think we as baseball fans are never going to see. There's a lot of stuff that's being done at sort of the individual player kind of physiology level where they're looking at things like, you know, I think everyone's heard about how the Pirates have been doing a lot to try to sense fatigue and act accordingly. But they're also talking about you know, sensors placed on bats to be able to determine bat swing and sort of how the player is squaring up. And I think a lot of that individualized type data is stuff that's, you know, it's going to be completely, I mean, for HIPAA reasons and otherwise, it's going to be completely proprietary. We're never going to see in the, um, you know, in in our uh, realm. Um, I think that, the, and everyone's kind of agreed. I mean, John Dewan, who's the... Um, the owner of Baseball Info, Info Solutions, which is kind of the the leader in a lot of the fielding metrics, the creator of DRS and the Fielding Bible. He says we're only 65% of the way there in terms of fielding metrics. So I think there's a lot more to be done there. That I'll be honest with you, Ryan, though, the challenge that I've got in looking at sort of the types of, of work that Jonathan Judge and Dan Turkenkoff and the other folks at BP did in developing something like uh, DRA is that number one, there's a lot, there's still a lot of kind of proprietary data collection involved there, and number two, and I was an applied math major. These guys are um, above my pay grade when it comes to understanding uh, kind of modern 
statistical methods. I mean, Rob Arthur is completing a doctorate in genealogy. You've got some really smart numbers guys that are working on this stuff. And in fact, at the seminar, the speaker before me was a woman who's completing a PhD in statistics at the Colorado School of Mines. And I think she's kind of the type of person that a lot of the teams are looking at in recruiting. Very true. It's just uh, your research caught me because I'm curious now with the focus on pitch framing, are we seeing a kind of an inverse relationship? And you mentioned uh, wild pitches. I was thinking more pass balls of are we seeing a relationship where the guys are trying too hard to frame and we're seeing more wild pitches accordingly or because of this? You know, I hadn't thought of that angle. There, there, you know, one of the one of the theories about pitch framing is that Jeff Sullivan and Fangrass wrote a piece about this, how last season a lot of the better pitch framers from 2014 weren't that good in 2015 lucroy uh, molina and you, you wouldn't think that that would be a skill that you'd lose and he's kind of wondering whether since all this stuff is in the public realm kind of the umpires may be getting wise to it and you know saying you're not going to fool me again right um, you know pulling a down and away pitch into the strike zone and having me call a strike on it. So, you know, it'll obviously need more than one year's worth of data, but it could be that some of the aspects of pitch framing that, let's face it, we're talking about is kind of tricking the umpire. Sure. Um, that, 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 that could be at least something that there's a response from the umpire community about. But as far as, yeah, that that emphasis might be, you know, if you're always thinking about taking a pitch that's a little, just on a little bit outside the black, bringing it into the zone, if you're then facing a pitch that's six inches out, um, that 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 could take you by surprise. And you've given me a good idea of something to look at, see whether those rates are different for the guys who are good pitch framers versus the ones who aren't. And I wonder if, like Luke Croy's got the reputation as a great framer, does it almost back backfire on him the next year or the following years? You know, you have such a great rate of, well, you're a great pitch framer. Do the umpires, almost like Bryce Harper now, they're looking for him to open his mouth to throw him out of the game. Are they looking for the guy trying to move the glove a little bit and it's almost, oh, well, that's got to be a ball, rather than looking at the pitch kind of honestly or, or whatever the word is I'm looking for? Yeah, that's definitely what uh, Sullivan's uh, uh, research would would, would uh, at least suggest. Uh, Corey, do you have any questions for Rob? I've been kind of monopolizing the questions here. Uh, no, this whole thing is just uh, just seems really fascinating. My only question was: there one like presentation or one like panel that really really like stuck out to you at all, Rob? Um. Or- you were there all three days, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that I thought was, at least made me think the most, was they do a thing at the Sabre Seminar called the uh, Diamond Dollars Competition, which is a, um, I can answer it two ways. It's uh, something that uh, Vince Gennaro, President Sabre, came up with, with it's a kind of riff on his book called Diamond Dollars. And what it does is it takes college teams who are presented with a baseball problem to solve, and they get a pretty limited time frame which to do it. I think it's like 
inside of a week or something like that. And then they all give presentations. And this year, the, the question was, you've got pick a major league team, and they had three different tiers of relief pitchers. So they said construct a five-man bullpen subject to rules and how many you could pick from each tier. And it was really interesting to me to see how the kids were doing this in terms of not just who they chose, but also the thought behind it. I mean, which projection systems they use, where, you know, how much you weight, what the team that you choose their schedule is, whether it's against teams that you know are a lot of strikeout hitters or a lot of lefties or righties, but just kind of seeing, because I got to see, I think, six presentations, and none of them were the same. So that was pretty interesting. I guess the one panel that kind of stood out to me, there is one on fielding that included on the panel, um, it was uh, from ESPN, um, Alex Cora. And the question came up about shifts and how that's changed the game, obviously. John Dewan was on the panel. And Cora talked about how he thought shifting maybe changing the roles of infielders a little bit. For instance, you know, you normally have your second baseman is often a guy who doesn't have a great arm because he's got that short throw over to first. And he's saying that if you're going to being, if you're going to start doing shifts against right-handed batters and you're going to put your second baseman on the left side, you know, from the batter's point of view of second base, you might want to start thinking about getting second basemen who have stronger arms than, second basemen have traditionally had and similarly if a third baseman is you know we've all seen games where the third baseman all of a sudden he's playing to the right of second you know in that hole between um first and second on the infield with the second baseman sort of playing in short right field against left-handed hitters you know does that mean that your third baseman who tends to be a guy with good reactions but may not be a real rangy guy maybe you need third baseman are a little bit more athletic and rangy if you're going to ask the guy to play what's effectively a middle infield position. And I thought that that was a really interesting observation. That whole panel was good. But I thought specifically Cora's observations about how the roles of infielders could change if we see a lot more shifting, which is what Dewan says we should expect to see, uh, in fact, comes to pass. I think that's a phenomenal point, particularly at second base. I think we're seeing guys like Jonathan Scope and even a Daniel Murphy having more value because of their arm rather than their lateral quickness, so to speak. I think that's a phenomenal point. Yeah, I mean, I follow the Pirates, and I think that's one of the yeah. values that, that uh, Neil Walker is going to bring to the Mets. Well, Murphy's Murphy's decent, too, but Walker, you know, maybe not the rangy second baseman, but the guy had a really strong arm. And, you know, if the Mets are going to start shifting more against right-handed hitters, that's the guy who's, whose arm they're going to come to appreciate. All right, Rob, uh, give me a uh, give me a wrap-up on uh, on the conference, if, if you could. Yeah, I thought that, um, it, you know, obviously being able to make a presentation was really thrilling, and that really made the conference for me. But what I thought it was uh, – I, this third year I've gone to it. Um, second year I've gone to I've gone to Saber Seminar a couple of years. I thought it was a really interesting conference in that I thought you know, every single panel presentation you know, speaker was good. There were really no clunkers, and it's a great conference to do networking as well to meet a lot of people. It draws some real um, high level 
folks. I mean, there's a lot of young people there who are eager to give their resumes to GMs and stuff. But seeing, you know, having a chance to talk to guys like Jonathan Judge and Rob Arthur and Eno Saris from Fangraphs was there. Um, some real good journalists. Um, it was a great opportunity just to meet a lot of the people who guys like us, you know, follow as well as following the the, the players and the teams. Well, thank you for representing us so well and uh, for the presentation. It uh, certainly is a feather in the cap of Banish to the Pen. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, final topic this week, uh, if I can once again poorly transition, I'm going to try to. Uh, I think maybe the biggest news in baseball this week, if, if that even makes sense, is the Adam LaRoche retirement and subsequently it coming out that it was because of his son Drake, I guess, not being allowed in the clubhouse to the same degree that it has been uh, the last couple of years. Um, I have some thoughts on this, and, and I kind of want to bring the, wanted to bring this up, but I want to first start with you guys and where you got where your heads at. Um, let's start with Corey. Rob, Rob you were, just had that segment, so Corey, I just want to start with kind of your thoughts on the whole situation. I mean, it's to me, it's just a pretty surprising move that a guy would. Uh, you know, give up whatever thirteen million dollars, uh, just just for that. But apparently, like the players are all on his side. I mean, the guys that have come out are all on his side. Like you know, I know Chris Sales, you know, and a bunch of other guys have said that nobody really had a problem with it. Like they were they were fine with Drake having his own locker in in the clubhouse. That Kenny Williams is just you know trying to trying to get rid of this problem or whatever. But, uh, I, I mean, myself, like, I wouldn't expect, like, someone to have their kid in my office or, I mean, I, I just don't think, like, a, a, a Major League Baseball clubhouse really is a, is a place for, a, a, you know, a teenager. Um, apparently... He's been homeschooled, so I mean, it's not like he was missing school or anything. Uh, if players don't have a problem with it, I guess it's not a big deal. But, but really, if there's one guy in that clubhouse, like say there's just one guy, and they're not gonna name names or who it was or whatever. If there's one player on that team that has a problem with it, then it it Kenny Williams should ask Adam LaRoche, hey, maybe we should dial it back a little bit. Like he doesn't need to be here every single day. You know, like maybe maybe most of the players were fine with it, but if that one guy has a problem with it, then uh, to me it's it's fine for them to be like, hey, like you know, once a week or you know, a couple times a month, not every single day, which it seems like he was there all that time. You know, Drake was here with the Nationals for four years and was pretty much here every day. And I, because I know me, I would probably be annoyed having a ten-year-old kid in the locker room when I'm trying to get ready for a game every day. So I did ask a couple players kind of off the record just at times, hey, was Drake a pain? Was it, you know, what was that like? And none of them ever even gave an inclination like, yeah, I could do without him being there a, a little, you know, he could be there a little less. I mean, never. It was always, man, what a great kid. We love having him around. He reminds us of, you know, how fun it is being a, a baseball player and what a, what a great thing we have. I mean, it, it, I was stunned at the positivity that, that he had. So and then to see it this week with, you know, Chris Zale and some of the players really sticking up for him. I do think that he is one of the more popular guys probably in the locker room. Yeah, I mean, 
if if that whole Nationals clubhouse didn't have a problem with it, that's fine. But like, once you have a clubhouse, you have one guy in a clubhouse that has a problem with it, and he mentions it, then it's it has to change, I guess. I I don't think it would be that big of an issue if Adam LaRoche was hitting 30 home runs. That's, that, you know, that, I'll just say that. Like, if you know he wasn't hitting 210 and only had whatever 12 home runs last year. If he hit, you know, two two seventy five with with twenty five bombs, then this is not. We're not talking about this at all. He and if Drake is still part of the clubhouse, and if the White Sox win the AL Central last year, we're not talking about this either. I think that's probably no, a, fair, a similarly fair statement. Um, Rob, what are your thoughts? I'd love to get you in. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I'm pretty cynical about this because this is one of these stories where i'll be honest with you i don't think anybody comes out looking very good thousand um, percent correct thousand you know, percent because you, you the story that i guess this was when he was with the nationals i was unaware of this um that you know laroche because my understanding is basically he and his wife pulled their boy out of school every year to do this and you know doesn't and what was this quote that we're not much into schooling or we're not much into school correct and and you can learn more about life in a locker room well no actually i don't think you can learn about life to the degree that you need to know to balance your checkbook and to figure out the interest rate on your mortgage and to be able to read you know the anything so he kind of comes out not looking great on this. Obviously, as you know, you suggested the White Sox reneged on what at least sounds like a verbal agreement. Um, so they don't come out looking great. Ken, Kenny Williams changed his story a few times, um, and then you know you read sort of the the speculation behind the scenes. Bob Nightingale has suggested that there in fact were some white guy White Sox players who objected to him being there, there but there had you know, for to understandable reason there had don't want to come public. Yeah. Um, you know, Craig Calcaterra thought that maybe it's Reinsdorf and is using um, Williams as the fall guy for this. So the whole thing, I think, it kind of makes everybody look bad. But the one thing that I absolutely agree with Corey about is that if this was coming after um, LaRoche's 2014 season, says 2015 season, this wouldn't be an issue. And a couple of things I want to chime in with was, first of all, from reports, this was in his contract that this could be allowed. And if it wasn't, this is a guy that, like I said, Drake was here every day in Washington for the four years. I mean, within if he wasn't playing in a tournament or wasn't doing something. I mean, he was at the ballpark 145 of 162 days. So you knew what you were getting when you signed the player. One. Two, why didn't the White Sox bring this up in October, right after the season, if this was such a big deal? Instead of bringing it up, what I consider late in spring training, I mean, if LaRoche has made plans now that he's going to be watching his boy all year, and then you tell him on March 15th, hey, by the way, you know, he can't really be here. That's that's not right on a number of levels. But so those are two things that I think are very strange. And and, and we've mentioned it now, but there is a thousand percent chance that some player or players complained about this because Kenny Williams is not unilaterally doing this unless somebody complained. And, and, and the final point I want to make is, why didn't they just grandfather LaRoche in? Say, hey, you can do this for the final season, but go- starting in 2017, we're not doing this anymore. Guys are not bringing their kids in the locker room. We're going to have a different you know, situation going forward. It, it, then it covers all your bases. You get it done, and, and then you know that the situation isn't going to go forward, but you don't make this huge dust up with LaRoche. I mean, I, I just the thing was handled so poorly. And, Rob, you said it perfectly. Everybody in this kind of comes out looking foolish, I think. 
Yeah, there was a piece, I'm trying to find it here. BP had a really good piece, I think on Friday, that they brought in a uh, guest writer as a labor uh, lawyer. Yes, and piece. Um, he, he made, made a point that even if it wasn't in the contract, if you let the guy do it, Every day, basically, last season, you set a precedent where under labor law, it would be defensible. So if the White Sox were kind of saying, well, why don't we say he can't do this and maybe he'll retire and it can save us all this money? Well, they were also risking losing a grievance and, you know, uh, still ha- still being on the hook. So the whole thing is just it's a head scratcher from every single angle. Well, and it's bizarre to me at this point, if that was their motivation, they wanted him to retire and clear the $13 million. Once again, why didn't they do this in the beginning of the offseason so you can use that money rather than now you're losing a player and you're not getting the $13 million benefit to your team who needs another bat and or some more help to uh, contend for the playoffs. I mean, it, it, the timing is just so odd to yeah. me in the whole situation. Yeah. Corey, any, th- any other thoughts? Uh, the only thing I'll add is uh, to a point Rob made. I've I grew up in the American education system, went to college. I've never learned about mortgage rates, so to the point where they don't trust, you know, schooling. I, I kind of get it, but I mean, maybe I just went to the wrong schools. Well, we can get into that's a whole other topic of our education system in this country. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone, but I'm I would hope that Drake LaRoche could go to whatever top-notch educational system he could he could get himself into so so i don't know I maybe think- there there are some lessons i didn't learn because i wasn't part of a major league clubhouse i don't know i i i just don't think it's a place if if anybody has a problem with it it's not a place for a, a child to be and i certainly think i would have less of a problem with it is at his age 14 now than i would have at 10 10 you're still you don't know how to act a little bit and i believe me i'm not trying to say i know much but i would think that he would be a much bigger distraction and pain in the neck a few years ago than he would be now when he can be a bat boy in essence and 14 you kind of know how you can act particularly if you're mature i mean he can probably be less of a nuisance now so hey i just want to briefly correct something i said the the writer of that that BP article. Eugene Friedman has written some other legal things on the site before, but I thought it was it was a really nice piece that he wrote on Friday. If anyone is interested in, in reading it, on sort of the um, he entitled it Adam LaRoche's potential grievance, and you know there's there's more to, to labor law than I think lay people like us would really realize. And one final point before we kind of wrap up this is it, this topic is I feel bad for Drake. I mean, this is a 14-year-old kid who is now being vilified for nothing that really he did wrong, so to speak. I mean, he was always told he could be in the locker room. He's just following his dad around. I mean, I know I would kill to grow up in a locker room and do that if I could have been had the opportunity. And and I feel badly that this, you know, teenager is is catching grief on one side and then getting grief for having his father retire because of him and everything else. I mean, I, I think it's a shame that the young man is is getting anything besides just you know hey he's a kid i mean this has nothing to do quote unquote with him or anything that he's done and and i think it's a shame that he's getting any grief and he can't defend himself so i I mean i just i maybe i'm sticking up for him or whatever but i think that's the biggest shame of it all is is we're vilifying or we're making you know something bad for a 14 year old kid so 
and and the White Sox, I don't know if you saw, left his uh, nameplate up in the clubhouse, and they took down Adam LaRoche's, but Drake LaRoche's is still up. <laughs> that whole thing is a cluster, and the last thing they needed was anything like this. This year, they need every all the positive vibes they can get. God, what a mess. So Yeah, it's not a good start. No, that's the best thing. It's not a good start, and it's a real distraction. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, guys, I guess maybe we should cut the episode uh, uh, there and that topic right there for kind of our time's sake. So uh, if I could, I'd love to kind of have you guys uh, kind of say goodbye to the Internet the same way that you guys uh, we started the show. You know, your Twitter handle, where they can find your work and all that good stuff. So um, let's start with Corey. Uh, say goodbye, my friend. Thanks for having me on, guys. I uh, hope I'll do this all again. You'll see some of my stuff start coming up on banished to the pen i'm doing uh nationals and mets preview in the last two weeks here you can find me at um cory zero smith c-o-r-e-y the number zero and then smith on twitter so well, welcome aboard and thank you for joining us today we look forward to having you on uh, a bunch more in the future cool thanks ryan rob say goodbye to the internet my friend I sure will. It's Rob Maines. You cannot find me in any baseball clubhouses, but you can find <laughs> me on Banished to the Pen. Um, my most recent pieces are a Pirates preview and a recap of the conference that we just spoke about. And Ryan just gave me a great idea of a follow-up involving um, the increase in wild pitches and uh, hit batters. And when I'm not at Banished to the Pen, if you're really into the Pirates, you can read me on onthefieldofplay.com. Twitter, I'm Cran underscore boy. Very cool. If you are into the Pirates uh, at all, definitely check out your site as well, because um, every time something happens with the Pirates, I'm floating over there and seeing what you have to say. So um, thank you again, Rob, for joining me. And uh, I look forward to running into you uh, hopefully somewhere this summer uh, at a conference or at a game. Either way, uh, Saber Seminar uh, is coming up in August. I can't wait. I hope to see you there if uh, I don't see you before. So, uh, Corey and Rob, thank you again. And uh, I look forward to talking to you guys again. Goodness, it's only 10 days or two weeks until opening day. So, um, thank you guys. Same time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ryan. And that was episode 48 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with my guests, Rob Maines and Corey Smith. I want to thank both of them for joining me. And uh, both are doing great work uh, on the site and are very, very solid additions to our team. I'm very happy we've got them writing and working for us and, and on the site. So thank you to those guys. Uh, a couple other things I'd like to mention, if I can, real briefly. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, the sinister minister of this podcast, Eric Roseberry who just got a promotion. He's now writing for the Reds SB Nation blog, Reds Reporter. So congratulations to him and another fellow writer on the site, uh, Andrew Gargano. I hope I got that name right. I'm terrible with names. But Andrew uh, got a promotion this week. He's now writing for BP Bronx. So we've got another guy uh, making the jump and working for BP now. So congratulations to both of those guys. I'm, I'm very impressed by their work and it's like i said to rob on the podcast it's just a big feather in our cap when uh people are doing great work um outside the realm of banished to the pen so great job guys uh i want to give uh, a quick uh, little shout out it looks like next week eric who i just mentioned uh alex uh chris Afuli, and brandon lee uh three guys who have been on the podcast before 
It looks like they're going to be meeting up in Chicago next weekend to do a live in-person Banish to the Pen podcast. So be on the lookout for that sometime late next week or early uh, the following week. That should be a very exciting show, and I really enjoyed that when they did it last year. So keep an eye out for that. One last final thing before I go, um, just as I do every week, I want to give a big shout out and a thank you to everybody involved with Banish to the Pen, whether it's the writers, the contributors, the editors, uh, the support staff, the technical support staff, just everybody involved. We're doing a great job. Uh, The team previews have been outstanding. The work that is being done on the site. I mean, you can just see Rob's going to Sabre conferences and we've got writers, you know, getting called up to the majors, so to speak. So there's really a lot of outstanding work being done at Banish to the Pen. and, And I'm just so proud of the work that everybody's doing. So great job to everybody. All right. I am Ryan Sullivan at NatsGM.com on Twitter reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners.